You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. You, you hear bear, right? And I've seen sun bears at, you know, worked around them, seen them at, at accredited institutions. What can they teach us? And bile itself has a lot of different molecules in it, but bears in general produce this really unique molecule in their bile called ursodeoxycholic acid. Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. So we're going back to Southeast Asia, and you picked this one. Yes, yes. We will be talking all about sun bears today. Yeah, yeah, they're amazing. A little difficult to pick which Asian bear to do because there's the sun bear, the -hmm. Asiatic black bear, or the moon bear it's called, and then, of course, the infamous sloth bear, which is super darling. So hopefully Mm -hmm. throughout the years we'll get to cover them all. But, yep, I had to to pick the sun bear uh, for this week, and uh, just there's – Besides amazing physiology and, of course, uh, living in one of the most diverse places in the world, and yeah, they have an important role in the ecosystem, but uh, there's a, a lot that's going on, too, about the illegal wildlife trade mm. with yes. Asian bears in general. And so we're going to talk about that today, which has been in the forefront of my mind personally for a long time, knowing about how... Asian bears are often solicited for their bile. So yes. we'll talk about that, uh, which is uh, just, it's a, it's one of these topics, Chris, to be honest with our listeners, uh, is that I struggled wanting to talk about it for, oh, sorry, I'll tell you. And to be quite frank, Chris, it's, it's taken me a while to want to cover the topic of bear bile farming mm-hmm, and bear bile mm-hmm. extraction in general, because in order for us to present it to our audience, that means I have to do a lot of research. We have to do a lot of research on it. And, uh, as, uh, as we'll, we'll get through and probably about the middle of the podcast, it is about as horrific as it sounds. And so I've kind of been putting it off out of, uh, uh ignorance is bliss, uh, yeah. type mentality, yeah. which is wrong. I mean, I know that uh, I just, it's, uh, yeah, well, we'll t- we're going to talk about that today, but there, yes, we're going to yes. talk about some, some really, of course, amazing physiological adaptations. Uh, the sun bear is the smallest in the bear family. It is the best climber. It's, uh, it's a, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah it, it's there's amazing a lot species. of really, really cool things. And there's a lot of groups that are fighting for the bears. And we're going to mm-hmm. focus on that towards the end of the podcast on for in sun bears in general. There's a great organization for the Borneo sun bear. And there's fantastic organizations that are working diligently, pouring their hearts into ending bear bile farming. So we're definitely going to end on some positive notes yes, and yes. get to talk about bears. And uh, and then the other thing, too, is if you stick with us, I really get to dork out on repro because yeah. we, there's still a lot we don't necessarily know about sun bear reproductive physiology. 
But what the studies are showing that their gestation length, so how long they're pregnant, on average is 95 days, but it can be up to 240 days. That's such a wide swing. It's such a huge swing. Yes, Chris. I liken it to the fact of, imagine you're a woman that's newly pregnant. Mm -hmm. You walk into the doctor's office in early January, all excited, and she's like, yes, everything's looking perfect. The baby's healthy. And you can expect this baby... Anytime around March through August. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, for us, nine months or two years, you know, sometime right, in there. Right, right. Like what I, you know, I mean, like, so that just, that, so I had to do some deep dives into that right. to try to figure it right. out and spoiler alert, researchers are still working on it, but we'll discuss why that is. And so, yeah, there's just a, there's a lot to learn about these bears and uh, bears in general are super intelligent. The sun bear is no different. And I found some really cool studies that explores just how uh, brilliant they are and clever. So, oh, it's just such a unique, it's a unique animal. It, it is obviously, you know, has to be in the sites of conservation because it does have a very interesting conservation story. Last week, you know, when we did King Cobra, we're talking about Southeast Asia. So, you know, we're going to highlight a little bit about that, but we, we covered it pretty well last week. So this week, it's, it's just, it's a different type of, not only are they experiencing those pressures that say the King Cobra is, or all the animals like Habitat, the gibbons, loss, right, yeah, orangutans, but now like Angie's saying with the bear bile and, and, and I did a little bit on wet markets because that's obviously huge in the news through this coronavirus pandemic. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about that of what's going on in that part of the world to help our listeners understand, because this mm-hmm. is part of it. Like this the bear bile and bear parts, unfortunately. Yes. Unfortunately, yeah. it's, a, it's a huge part of their story. And that's why, like I said, it's taken us a little while, longer than I would have liked to cover this topic, but we're here today. We're ready. We're prepared to tell mm-hmm. their story, uh, get everyone excited about Asian bear conservation, sun, sun bears, Asiatic black bears, or moon bears. I love the name moon bears. Yeah, I know. Sun I know, bears, I know. moon bears, and sloth bears uh, in yep, general. Yep. But highlighting, of course, sun bears. And the other thing, too, that's just came across uh, my news feed, because yes, I'm a dork that uh, follows all things like wildlife news, is of course we'll mention some good news. But I just read an article to put this in everybody's forefront that with the coronavirus pandemic that's going on, there are people in China that are promoting bear bile as a coronavirus treatment and wildlife advocates uh, are up in arms about it. Now, just to jump in real quick, Angie, there is scientific evidence that bear bile itself uh, is beneficial. And that's why I think kind of we were shy to talk about it because you generally rhino horns and these other pangolin scales have no medicinal value. Bear bile actually does. But there are synthetics and alternatives that do the same thing. So you don't have to use bare bile. So we're going to talk about that, you know, what the components are and and what the, the research has shown. So, yes, you know, and I will try. Not, I'll try not to dork out about the actual yeah. molecule itself. <laughs> I know. I knew you would. I knew you would. <laughs> chemistry. Chemistry. Yeah, yeah. So, really quick, you know, just again, thank you to our listeners. We have seen such incredible growth the last month. It, we were on the front page of iTunes for for a few weeks. So, thank you to our new listeners that that have subscribed uh, to the podcast. You know, we just ask that you please share. 
you know, this knowledge so we can keep growing this movement, this conservation movement, talking about these species week in, week out. And for those of for those of you that do support us on Patreon, again, it's a, a cappuccino. Whenever that opens back up, a cappuccino a month, you know, five bucks a month minimum. You support us, our free education that we're doing, and now the kids podcast. So thanks to Jeremy and Laura, who both joined us this week on Patreon. Thank you so much. You know, we're busy. We're, we're interviewing kids. We're interviewing researchers. And we're trying to- How fun is that? Much. How fun is I the know. kids? It's yes. fun. It's they're so cute. I love listening to it. It gives me so much hope. Uh, like I want to be a zoologist, or I want to be a, <laughs> uh, a farmer, or yes. a, or a veterinarian, or a preschool teacher. Oh my gosh, Colleen! Mm. This past week, uh, oh, so yeah, no, heart. it's hope, and that those that's going to be the generation that. Uh, helps get us out of the mess that we've kind of gotten ourselves into. Yeah. So yeah, yeah it's yeah. super fun. Yeah. So we're staying busy. We're staying busy. We're trying to push as much out as we can. Well, Chris, I, I know that a lot of people are going through economic hardships right now too. So I always like to say you don't have to do Patreon, just a beautiful glowing review on iTunes, uh, five stars, maybe and then write a few words is all we need. And so uh, I want to give a huge shout out this week to the Crown Lemur, who gave us a glowing mm-hmm. review on iTunes and said our podcast is amazing and they've taught them a lot. And it's just uh, this person wants us to never stop. So yeah, Crown Lemur, keep going. we will keep going for you we'll and for going. all of our other uh, fans out there. So thank you. Yeah. All right. So let's describe this thing. You see, you, you hear bear, right? And I've seen sun bears at you know, worked around them, seen them at, at accredited institutions, at zoos. But these aren't very big, are they? <laughs> no, no, no. They're slightly bigger than me. They're, they say like yeah. large dog size, mm-hmm. about 150 pounds. I weigh much mm, less max. than that. Wink, wink, yeah. not after this quarantine. Jeez. But yeah, I'm not sure what that is in kilograms. Uh, you're the 65. Kilogram. There's 65. my there's yeah. there's my partner, sixty five yeah, kilograms, yeah. and of course bears are no, known to stand up on their hind legs when they're smelling the air or when they're foraging, and so when they do that, they're only they only stand what a meter about five feet, yeah, five feet, meter and a half, yeah, yeah, yeah. one point four meters, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, not very so, much. So definitely the smallest in the bear family, but arguably one of the most adoring. They are. They're cute. They're so cute. They're named the sun bear, also called the honey bear, uh, because they're all black and they have this very sleek, almost shiny fur, but they have an orange-yellow horseshoe shape or U-shape, very, mm-hmm. very well-formed U, on their front of their chest. So in some folklores and folktales, this represents the rising sun. Mm-hmm. And this marking is so distinct, especially when they stand up. It's just, it's quite brilliant. And with that, they have a typical bear face. They have a wide, flat, short head, and then, of course, cute little small round ears. But their snout, their nose is also quite distinct where it can be, it's not black. It can be anywhere Mm. from orangish yellow, sometimes silver gray depending on where exactly the bear lives. So it's just, and of course it has these big stocky paws and uh, really long, 
long claws on this yeah. sun bear, uh, uh, like four uh, uh, inches uh, or 10 centimeters, yeah. I think. It's, yeah. 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 Yep. And so just really, really impressive. And as far as their just giant black paws and, you know, cute round, big round eyes. So they're just, they're just stunning. You're, they're, you're skipping like one of the craziest things about them is they have this tongue that can be as long as 18 inches or 50 centimeters. It is crazy. It is it like an eater. Yeah. Well, and of course, going through some of the videos and photos in the beginning, most of the photos don't have that or videos. But then, mm-hmm. yes, then you find somewhere that the uh, photographers have been able to capture them the tongue, either yeah, licking yeah. or sticking it out and trying to get food. And yes, it is so long and it's insane it's nuts it i mean not anteater because it's like obviously not that long not long but yeah but for a bear species it's quite striking yes yes yeah yeah and they do use it you know they do use it kind of like an anteater we'll get their nutrition you know why they they have this long long tongue i mean uh, john always teases me like when we're picking out a bottle of wine or something that I, i i always buy it based on the um on the label, not like on the right. flavor or yeah, the yeah, vintage yeah. or any of that kind of yeah. stuff. And so I think with some bears, it's the same thing. It's like that striking, gorgeous, yellow, orange U or V shape mm-hmm. on their chest is just, I mean, that's, I just stare at that. And, and then their cute yeah. little orange to brown uh, colored nose. So yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, they're adorable. Oh, they're so adorable. But in general, the, the, Bears that we, the Asiatic bears that we opened up with, the uh, the Asiatic black bear, the moon bear, and the sloth bear also have somewhat of a somewhat of a similar chest marking, but distinct, of course, because they're different species. So the mm-hmm. moon bears is going to be more lighter in color and not as prominent. It has more of it looks like a moon, like a, cre- a right. setting moon, so much wider. And the sloth bear is just very distinct because although it has a, a U or a, a V-shaped chest, orange chest marking, it has a whole bunch of hair, like mm-hmm. fluffy kind of a small little, what is it, a Pomeranian type dog, like right, fluffy ears. Right. And so, yeah. But yeah, you can Google images or Chris will probably put some on our show notes, but the sun bear has this very just tight, sleek Fur and it's probably a good time to talk about where they live, Chris, because one of yeah. the reasons they have such short, sleek furs because of where they live. Right, right. I mean, yeah, you know, Southeast Asia very similar to King Cobra, maybe not as wide of a territory, but you know, you're talking from the eastern portion of India all the way down through Thailand, all the way down into Malaysia, you know, parts of China, and that was their historic range. And looking at the data today where they think they might be and then where they definitely know where they are. This is one of the most fragmented species I think we've covered to date. It's just, it's a bunch of polka dots, you know, know. where they think they are and where their territories or their, where they range now. It is very fragmented. And that is one of the the biggest pressures uh, that they have. But I mean, you know, Cambodia, uh, Laos, uh, Myanmar, Burma, you know, Vietnam, they're, they're, that's where they are. But again, small areas because of human encroachment. I mean, it's just, you know, that is what is going on in Southeast Asia. And, you know, it's like we talked about last week with deforestation, everything going on there. 
Yeah. And I think with sun bears too, we'll talk a lot about it when we get to behavior, but they are known, besides being the smallest of all the bears, they are known as the most arboreal. They live in trees. I mean, they are an amazing climbers. Their bone structure, they almost, all of their toes kind of toe inward, if you will, mm-hmm. almost pigeon-toed, and, the, and both on the front legs and the hind legs. And researchers think that that evolved, that skeletal structure evolved because they need to be such good climbers. That's like how they survive. And so- mm-hmm. This dense forest that they like to live in is really critical for them to have trees around. I mean, that's that's what yeah. they do. That makes a sun bear is a sun bear because it climbs mm-hmm. trees and mm-hmm. lives in trees. And we'll talk about a lot of that behavior. But so you get rid of this dense forest for agriculture or for urban life, and they're going to have a much harder time adapting to it because, well, they live in trees. Yeah, I mean that's that's yeah, that's that's home, right? You it's just home. tear down their home, and they have nowhere else to go. Right. Like and, we think of our yeah. North American black bears or brown bears, and yeah, they mm-hmm. climb trees and that's things like that, and they can knock them down and all this stuff, but they don't live in the trees. Yeah, yeah. Their diet, you know, isn't mm-hmm. dependent as dependent. So, and I mean, this is a keystone species. This is, it. You know, Angie and I it always seems like a lot of these species we talk about is seed dispersal, but you know, not only do sun bears, they're critical with that pest control reading about how they, you know, especially with this long tongue, but they excavate portions of the tree to make these holes and burrows and stuff in the trees that other animals use. I mean, they Mm -hmm. are what they do in the this tropical forest is so important for the the nutrient cycle and the food web it, it's just it's heartbreaking to see what's going on there in that part of the world to just see this all disappear in front of us yes chris a healthy forest ecosystem has sun bears period and those aren't my words those are words from a gentleman who has studied sun bears and dedicate his entire life to saving them. And we'll talk about uh, Dr. Han Wong Su Te uh, towards the end of the podcast, and we're going to highlight the Borneo Sun Bear Conservation Center. He's a wildlife bi- biologist and ecologist by trade, so he knows what it takes to have a healthy forest ecosystem in Southeast Asia. And sun bears are a huge, huge part of it. And saying that they're a seed disperser, is almost an understatement. In one study, researchers reported that in just one, just one little sample of bear feces, which think of your dog, you know, yeah. if you will, a large yeah. dog size, had over 309 seeds of different plant yeah. species. And there's certain plants that are most likely completely dependent on bears in general to d- disperse their seeds. So Yes, without them, there'd be a lot lost. It, and it's just a, when you think about the seed dispersal and how critical that is, because it, it you know, we've talked about this other species, when in the feces, it's almost like there's their nutrient pile for them to grow. And when you're talking about a tropical rainforest, the dense vegetation, the biodiversity of vegetation... So this is a species that is critical to maintaining that biodiversity, that complicated food web, everything. So when we start 
plucking these species out of the ecosystem, this is where it starts collapsing, you know, and it's just crazy. And it's just like we talked about last week, this Southeast Asia is losing forests quicker than any other tropical region in the world. And I just saw a report today that nobody's even talking about. The, the fires are raging again in the Amazon. It's even worse than last year that, you know, they're clearing, uh, clear cutting, clearing the forest in the Amazon. It's just we've got so much else going on in the world right now. That's not even on anybody's radar. But again, talking about the destruction of our tropical rainforest, it's just, it's just horrific. So not to hammer that point again, because we covered it pretty well last week, but I did want to go into wet markets because obviously that's in the news and it's a lot of, you know, every other day you're seeing something on the wet markets in China. Are they shut down? Are they not shut down? And here in the Western world, you know, we didn't kind of, we all have these ideas of what a wet market is. So basically what a wet market is, is a farmer selling their products or produce. So it could be, you know, vegetables or fruit, but can be meat or animals directly from their farms. And they're wet because usually the, the floors and stuff are, are washed down. The, the food's washed down, the fish is washed down, the veggies are washed down. So these markets are wet. You know, there are dry markets too elsewhere, you know, we can buy produce. Now, some of these, not all of them, but some of these, and that's a way of life for much of Asia. You know, you're talking wet markets in China, Indonesia, Malaysia, Philippines, Taiwan, Thailand, Thailand, Vietnam, Singapore. It's their way of life. Laos, it's their way of life, right? Now, some of these sell either domestic animals like chickens or pigs or wildlife like pangolins or what we think this virus might have came from, the horseshoe bat, you know, in this, this wet market in Wuhan. And so health, World Health Organization, other organizations are worried because this is a haven for viruses and spreading contagions. And this is just like what we're seeing with the coronavirus. The, the belief is it, it came from a wet market, like I said, from bats, uh, possibly. That's where they kind of traced it. China reported in two years ago that the exotic wildlife trade in wet markets in their country is worth $73 billion. I think it's in Asia, all of Asia, $73 billion. That's exotic wildlife. That is what we're faced with. I didn't realize it was that big. Like, I didn't either. That's a, yeah. Yeah, that's insane. It's insane. It's insane. So, you know, that is what we're facing in trying to shut these down. That's why it's like China says, oh, yeah, we're shutting them down, but they really don't get shut down because when it's not about the money, it's about the money. Going back to your your dad's, you know, old quote. So with these wet markets, you know, tying it back to sun bears, they are kept in these markets or parts of them are kept in these markets. Now, like we're going to talk about here in a second, bear bile is farmed there, but these these bears are also kept in these markets where this bile is is extracted. And looking at them in these cages in just horrific conditions and feces and you know, just leak and, and leak, just 
totally unsanitary conditions for being in a market where people are buying food and all these other things. So that is what, you know, I think it doesn't take a, a rocket scientist. It takes a virologist or, an, you know, some of these smart people to go in and say, yeah, this is where SARS is coming from. This is where we're starting to see a lot of these deadly pathogens cross over into humans when you're, you're keeping animals that close to the food source. And then, you know, also just around people. So, you know, that's kind of how coronavirus came about. So bear bile, Angie, like we said, it, it's been used in traditional Asian medicine for thousands of years. It does have benefits, but yes. we do have artificial sources. So Yes, yes, yes. So I think it's important just to hit the really quick facts about bear mm -hmm. bile in case this is the first time you're hearing about it. And I hopefully will get through all of this without uh, choking up. I definitely yeah. spent this past week uh, uh, losing it a few times when I was researching this. So really quick, what you need to know is bile, all mammals make bile. It's a digestive fluid produced by the liver, and then it's stored in your gallbladder. And it's really important bile helps you break down fats. And bile itself has a lot of different molecules in it. But bears in general produce this really unique molecule in their bile called ursodeoxycholic acid. How can you could say stuff like that? And I'm like flubbing everything. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> well, Good job. You, do, you do the Latin uh, animal yeah. names and uh, I'll, I'll do the molecules. Well, because I had okay. to say uh, deoxyhexanoic acid, DHA. I don't even know if I'm saying it right <laughs> yes, now. It's did, been, yeah. I haven't given a talk about it in a couple of years now. Years, but, yeah. yeah. So, uh, okay. but anyways, okay. but yeah, so it is a molecule. And if you notice in the name, it has urso which mm -hmm. I don't even think we gave the species name yet for the sun yeah, yeah. bear because we're yeah. just on a roll. Yeah. But uh, bears are in the family Ursidae. Yes. In general, including the sun bear. So, I mean, that's it's a unique molecule, yes. And traditional Asian medicine uses it for treating liver and gallbladder conditions. And I didn't dive into the if there was any evidence-based, evidence like double-blind studies on if this stuff really works or not. But... It is been used for it has been used for a long time to the fact where there's actually been synthetic versions of this molecule that will treat certain health conditions. So there's no need. I mean, scientists. I mean, I, I just took a, an oral steroid for a little uh, wrist injury that I have, mm -hmm. and it's cortisol, prednisone, and it's synthetically made, and it did exactly mm -hmm. what it needed to do. They didn't have to collect the cortisol from an organism or anything, right? So right, the, right. the synthetic medicine is there for a reason, and it treats a lot of ailments. And as you mentioned too, Chris, there's other herbs and plants and things like that that can also treat liver and gallbladder issues, but mm -hmm. still keeping mm -hmm. under the umbrella of traditional Asian medicine. Right. So, so that's the background. But because of its value in traditional Chinese medicine, people have taken to the practice of farming bears, which is not a great practice because, as you can imagine, hard-hitting fact number two is that bear farming is probably about as cruel and painful as you imagine. So mm -hmm. this is where, really quick, if you're, you know, 
if you have kids listening or something, uh, basically the extraction of the bear bile uh, from uh, live bears is – there's several different ways to do it, but uh, you can insert a catheter and then the bear lives in this tiny cage with a catheter. And this is not like something where the bear is um, euthanized. Uh, the the bear, these bears, Chris and I will talk about a little bit more in their life cycle, but they live up to 20 years. And um, actually, I think record breaking was like 31 years. And so these bears are kept alive for as long as they can. And the second point about bear bile or bear bile farming is that traditionally the main bears that are used for the bile extraction process is going to be your Asiatic black bears, your moon bears, uh, Mm -hmm. and your sun bears. So it's, I think it's predominantly a lot more of the moon bears, but sun bears still fall into that category and are also used as well too. And so, and what happened is with this market for bear bile, people decided instead of just getting killing bears in the wild and getting it one time or whatever it is, they started farming these bears. So where they take them as cubs or whatever, and then they put them in tiny cages and they extract bile from them. And there's several ways to do it. It can involve keeping a catheter in them hundred percent of the time. And it is as painful and as cruel as you probably are thinking. Yeah. Uh, a, a really important note is Sun bears and Asiatic black bears, they live a long time, 20 years. I think with sun bears, there's a record of a bear living to 31 years. They probably don't live that long under these bad conditions, conditions. Yeah. but still, there's, it's, it's, it's not like they're a livestock animal that's raised and then you know slaughtered when they're yeah. a couple months old or something like that. Like they are yeah. – uh, well, and they're not, they're not a domestic animal. They're not – I mean, they no. – yeah, there's so you know, obviously there's a lot of differences of how they're how they're farmed, and so it's a very painful, unsanitary, unhealthy practice, as Chris mentioned, and they just keep collecting bile from these bears and then selling it. Okay, so that's like fact number two. Um, fact number three is there's actually kind of a movement that people prefer wild bear bile to farmed bear bile. So, because I would almost be like, okay, well, the farm, okay, if they're farming them, it's horrible. And obviously they need to have better welfare standards and they need to not live their life in this tiny, teeny, tiny cage. They're actually called crush cages a lot of the times to keep them still. So they don't rip the catheter out and things like that. Um, But I'm like, okay, at least they're leaving wild populations alone. Maybe that would be a bonus. Well, no, there's this belief that wild bear bile is more potent and more powerful, and it definitely fetches more money on the market, on the black market, than farm bear bile, because I guess they believe that it's more potent or whatever. Right, Uh, right. So now the sun bears that are free and in the wild are also under... uh, attack of this uh, Mm -hmm, issue. mm -hmm. The other really important hard-hitting fact about bear bile farming is I was thinking, well, okay, you know, maybe sometimes with like farmed exotic animals, we can at least learn about their their reproductive biology better. I Mm -hmm, I think we see mm -hmm. that maybe with with farmed chinchillas or farmed minks. Like, I don't love it, but at least like the breeders have taught taught us a little bit more about learned about them. Yeah, yeah. I can I can try to find some positive things to say. I like to obviously be 
open-minded. Well, uh, bear farming has not helped us at all with trying to understand how to save these vulnerable, remember sun bears and moon bears are and sloth bears are all vulnerable, according to the IUC, and their populations are very low. We don't even have counts on a lot of them. They they can't breed these bears. The bears don't breed in these facilities. So they're having to continually collect them you know, over time from the yeah. wild. The wild, yep. Yeah. And so it's just, it's not like a sustainable farming practice, if you will. I mean, not that, and so uh, it's just, there's a lot of, issues with it. And there hasn't been any, any evidence-based studies that have shown that farming bears actually enhances no. bear conservation. So the, those numbers don't exist. And so, uh, but some other kind of important, or I guess good news, hard-hitting facts is that in general, people from China don't want bear bile farming. Yeah, I read that. I yeah. was like 87% on a poll opposed yeah. to the cruel practices of bear bile farming. Yeah. So that's a lot. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a fair number because I think once people start learning more about it, and that's why I encourage you to share this podcast and things like that, uh, they, they're like, ooh, geez, like, ooh, no, that's really, really not Horrible. in the bear's best yeah. interest. And so, but it's important to note too that it is still legal. In China. Mm -hmm. And in Vietnam, it's not legal, but it still is happening a lot, of course, under, you know, undercover or whatever. But Vietnam is working really hard. The Vietnamese government's working really hard to try to rescue uh, and close every bear farming facility by 2020. And they're mm -hmm. working with a group called Animals Asia, which I'll highlight towards the end of the podcast too. Mm -hmm. That's really uh, just a f fantastic organization uh, that's just trying to end bale bear bile farming yeah. uh, and working really hard at doing that. So it's uh, it's just one of these things where I think there's been a big put a surge in probably the mm -hmm. last couple of years uh, as far as trying to end bear bile farming and mm -hmm. but then I, I we get socked with the news i mean just it was like a week or two ago once again that china is now saying oh bear bile and coronavirus, coronavirus it's helping or it might help or something like that uh with really uh no evidence i mean yeah that i could find about that actually being true or even if it is as we mentioned there's several uh cruelty-free alternatives to right. reduce inflammation or to help with any liver or gallbladder mm -hmm. issues. So there's, you know, there's really, there's just no need for it. And it sounds like a lot of people in Asia agree. It's just mm -hmm. once again, these black markets and if, you know, if there is a, if there is a market for it or there's these wet markets, uh, it's going to keep on, it's going to keep happening. And it's just, it's just, uh, um, a really it's important it's important story for the Asiatic bears and that's why you chose to, to talk about these animals you've <laughs> you're right I mean this has been heartbreaking and when you do see because with rhino horn we we go back to when we talked about this the studies coming out of there the people believe oh farmed rhino horn isn't as good as wild rhino horn which is asinine or just insane in itself then you go into, you know, synthetic rhino horn versus real. I mean, they, they'll reject it. Oh, it's not the same because they have this mystical belief 
Same thing that you're saying with the bear bile. Yeah. I mean, and you and I, of course, are hoof stock experts and rhinos. And so we've been, we've talked a lot about rhino horn poaching and Mm -hmm. obviously there's no evidence of any medicinal purposes. And, and that's been our, a lot of our focus on the podcast with uh, elephant and rhino poaching. And, Mm -hmm. but Chris really thinking about it. And uh, I was talking with my husband a lot about this over this past week. I don't know. I mean, this, this, this bear bile farming for me, it it is just really really horrific i guess mm-hmm. it's all horrible like to kill an animal for one body mm-hmm. part that's so ridiculous whether it's a trophy or a uh, mm-hmm. or for medicinal purposes purposes that aren't even proven scientifically like right. but i guess i mean at least a rhino is like out running around and you know enjoying yeah, itself bam, and being a over, rhino yeah. and then it dies Hopefully quickly. I don't know. I'm mean, sure. Yeah. Obviously, I've I've seen rhino orphanages where a lot of them have wounds and suffer. Mm-hmm. So, I'm not promoting it, obviously. But but yeah, there's just to me, it's I, I obviously never really worked with carnivores, and I'm just starting to learn more about them through the podcast and really studying them. But this intelligent creature in a cage for 15 years, not with any other bears, no enrichment, no quality of life, no quality of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's I'm enough speechless. to it's I'm enough speechless. it's enough yeah. it's enough to drive 87% of the chinese people polled to say we don't want this. Right. You know, and they put up with a lot in their culture that's accepted. Correct. You know, go, going to some of these wet markets and having animals slaughtered right in front of them to make sure the meat's fresh and stuff. So it says a lot of the cruelty of the practice and like Angie said, Animals Asia Healing Without Harm program, which we're going to talk about is leading an effort to to do that. I did find some good news too with Kai, I think it's Kai Bayo. It's the the bing- the biggest single buyer of bear bile that with the help of the government they're actually pursuing alternative uh, versions of this acid because the the market's drying up as far as the demand for actual real bear bile that people are horrified enough and it, and, and just to give you some more hope too well, unless it's touted as like a coronavirus thing, I mean that's well, that's that's no that's not not helpful. But you know, there's how many things are out there right now that will right. cure this, yeah, this horrific yeah. pandemic? Yeah, hopefully this one under. will pass quickly. Yeah, but then Mike Veal, you know, going back to Global Conservation Force, they're in Vietnam working with vet students and the young population to educate the older population on the truth of rhino horn and things like that. So. There is a ground movement in that part of the world to to end this, but yeah, it's 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 sad. It's sad. Yeah. It's something we have to talk about. It, it's like this is the the species that we chose to really highlight this. Yes, issue. yes, yes. And like I said, towards the end of the podcast, we'll be highlighting a couple groups, and they'll be on our show notes, so you can learn more about uh, the heroes that are protecting them in the wild and in their wild habitats, and then the heroes that are trying to rescue them from these farming facilities. So. Yeah. All right. Uh, the quick and dirty on bear evolution, specifically sun bear. Like Angie said, uh, bears come from the family Ursidae. Sun bears are from the, the genus or genre Heloroctos. And the species name is Heloroctos melanus, 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 melanus. Yeah. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> See, I get the words. Heloroctos and there's actually two subspecies. So the Borneo sun bear and the Malayan sun bear. 
So the Borneo is Helleroctus malayanus urpilis, and then the other one's malayanus malayanus. So two subspecies of sun bear. Now, bears in general, so fun. I mean, we've covered polar bears, brown bears, and now, or the grizzly bear, and now we're covering the sun bear. We did the panda bear too. I can't forget John's favorite. Mm-hmm. But they can. There's three subfamilies of bears. So the panda has its own, you know, out there. They're special. We'll leave it at that. There. <laughs> Come back and listen to that episode. That's so much fun. So Alleropodidae is them. The speck bear has its own. That was one we got to, we'll cover soon, you know, yes. probably the next year. Yes. That's probably the next bear we'll cover because they're special. And that's Tremor Tenae. And then you know, the real bears are Ursinae. Mm-hmm. So the Ursinae is six species. So brown bears and polar bears, Asiatic black bears, American black bears, the sun bear, and then the sloth bear. Mm -hmm. So those are all Ursinae from there. Now, going way back, pandas split off 20-something million years ago to go be special. (laughs) (laughs) The, The speck bear about 12 million years ago split off to be special down there in South America. Mm-hmm. And then you have the six. So then you have the, the, the sun bear, Asiatic black bear and sloth bear, the moon bear, right? Mm-hmm. The, the moon bears, the Asiatic black bear, yes. all kind of similar ancestry. Mm-hmm. So we do know the modern bears appeared in Eurasia about 5 million years ago. And then they migrated throughout Asia, then into North America, and then finally going down into South America. So there was actually bears living in Africa at one at one point, but not, you know, obviously anymore. Now, Angie, I, there's so many bear ancestors that are fun to cover, but I just had to go back. I just love covering the big one. If I don't know if you remember the big one, but it's Octotherium angustidens was the biggest bear ever. I just had to talk about it again really quick that died out about 11,000 years ago. So weighed How almost... How big four... was it? <laughs> it was like 11 feet tall and weighed like 4,000 pounds. Oh, just that's huge. massive. Yeah, it was... South America had some huge animals. They like sure did. Massive, yeah. yeah. It's insane. Titanoboa. Yeah. Oh, they had some big animals. So yeah, that one was down there. And the obviously the sun Argentinosaurus, bears. Argentinosaurus, right? Wasn't that one yeah. of the biggest dinosaurs? The dinosaurs mm-hmm. found down there. Yeah, it was fun. Um so but the sun bears is the obviously the smallest bear and that that we've had when has the shortest fur. They like Angie said, their physiology is just really different from other bears. I mean, she talked a lot about the paws turning inward. Their chests are flatter. So, you know, they they just are, are, like you said, they're almost, I mean, koalas aren't real bears. We know that. Mm-hmm. But see how, like, you know, it's just, I think of them climbing in the trees. I think of koala bears, like, going mm-hmm. up there. Mm-hmm. You know, just right climbing up those trees. And then just a couple differences, too. You know, not only they they developed, you know, these, you know, this this chest and claws to climb the trees. They have that super long tongue which is used to when they're breaking up some of the tree to reach in there and get insects. We're going to talk about nutrition here in a second. Also bees to get Mm -hmm. to honey. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost like they're yeah. They're the also poo. called the honey bear too. Yeah. 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 They love it. They love it. And you know, it's just and their teeth compared to other bears are much flatter. So even though they're omnivores, they they tend to really have a, a vegetation diet. Mm-hmm. That is where they evolved, and it's just you know from much different from the Asiatic black bears. Yeah, and one of the more recent studies showed that about 50% of their diet is from fruit. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the different types of fruit from trees and a lot of them that I can't even pronounce a different species. And because they're in the tropics, there's some seasonality to some of the fruits, but usually there's always fruit that they can find where when we think of our North American black bear – they're going to only be able to have berries in the summertime, right? Because mm-hmm, it's cold mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. for the winter. And so, yeah, I think they're they're definitely fruit dependent. And that's why they're such a good seed disperser too, of course. Mm-hmm. But yeah, as you mentioned, they, I mean, they're, they're, I love this description. I actually had to like call John into the room. I'm like, John, yeah, I love this. Uh, sun bears are considered opportunistic omnivores. And okay, yeah. I like that. I don't know. I don't yeah, know. I like yeah, the it makes sense. It makes of sense. The O's, the O's, and the O's. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, they're. I mean, they will. They will do what they need to do, and um, they can eat small rodents and birds and lizards. Yeah. they'll scavenge mm-hmm. kills from tigers if they have to. Mm-hmm. And because they are smart and they are opportunistic omnivores, they can sometimes get into people's rubbish, which we know we have that mm-hmm. issue with our bears here in North America as well. So it's, uh, you know, they're, they're smart. They know how to, to, to eat and they will eat what yeah. they need to eat, but a large yeah. part of their diet is fruit. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, in a, in an food. ideal world where there's tons of trees, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. um, they mm-hmm. want to stay up in the trees mm-hmm. eating the fruit. That's their, that's their goal. But of course, they'll come down the trees and be opportunistic. <laughs> yep, yep. Now, Angie, I'm gonna. I have a question for you here in a Ooh, second. Quiz time. Let's see okay, so I've got my morning you know, coffee. They, Hold on, let me take a drink of it first. <laughs> okay. So, not a ton of predators for them. I mean, tigers will, or they are the main predator of some bears, and you know, so they do have to worry about tigers. Generally not. The, the cubs, you know, you do have snakes and larger birds of prey that can take the, the younger sun bears. Now, they have a particular adaptation from another species that we've covered before, where their neck, they have really loose skin. So they have thick hides, but loose skin. So if a predator does grab them, they can actually turn to bite back. Nice. So my question the is, ninja do move. you remember? Yeah. Do you remember what species can do this? Well, Chris, I've had my morning <laughs> coffee. And I, I, if I do say so myself, I'm pretty sharp today. So yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, Chris. Honey badger don't care. Honey badger will twist out <laughs> yes. of any predator. Oh, God. Honey, ba- uh, honey badger honey don't badger. care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I love my honey badger. Yep. I honey badger. I just started laughing. I was just like, oh, honey badger. I'll never forget you. Well, now we got honey never bear or sun bears that yes. uh, can pull off the yeah. same uh, ninja move. I love it. I love it. Yeah, yeah. So it's one way they, they can escape predators. Mm-hmm. For sure. Now, today is Mother's Day, so I know these are pretty good mamas, right? We're going to get to uh, all about sun bear parenting here in a second. 
But in general, sun bears aren't very social. Really, the the biggest bonds are going to be between a mother and her cub. And so in general, they're solitary. They're going to be active at night, but there's also reports of them being active during the day as well. Sun bear activity is going to depend on where they live. There's reports of them being active during the day, and then there's also reports of them being active nocturnally in areas that are frequently inhabited by humans. So they don't really want to be around humans because they're shy, mm. and so that might make them be more nocturnal. So the research is still ongoing in that regards. But what they are spending their time doing, we know, is climbing. They're the most arboreal or tree-loving and living of all the bears. So, in fact, they sleep and sunbathe in trees at heights anywhere from like two to seven meters. So they're up there. Wow. It's not just like a fallen yeah, log yeah. or something. And what, yeah, I, yeah. what I found super fascinating, I just loved, I remember this when we covered uh, orangutans, but their bedding sites are often in tree cavities or hollows, kind of like you mentioned, they will excavate that out. But they will also build bedding or nests high up in the trees, like a chimpanzee will or an orangutan. Mm -hmm. And they'd like these plat, they'll break all these branches to make platforms high up in the trees to rest on. And these bedding sites actually help researchers identify where they live because they're very, they're very elusive and secretive bear because they spend a lot of time in the trees and there's not a lot of them. So mm -hmm. uh, I just found it really fascinating how they will just hang out up in trees and make their own little comfy bed. I, I mean, I love, I remember that fact from orangutans. I love that. So mm -hmm. they, they know how to be comfortable, which is awesome. And they can swim as well. They're decent swimmers, but I mean, they're typically not trying to swim. What's really interesting and separates them from a lot of bear species is that they do not go through a period of hibernation. So when yeah. we think of the American black bear, the European black bear, they'll go through a dormancy period or a hibernation period where they live off their fat reserves and stop eating for the most part. And that does not happen with sun bears. Sun bears are active year round. And this is presumably because they live in tropical areas where they have their food sources present year round. So I thought that was pretty cool. And once again, it just, I mean, that's why all these, there's not very many bear species to begin with. What'd you say? There's seven of them, mm -hmm. right? Eight? Well, yeah, I mean, six that are true six bears, Six true right? bears. And then two Right. And then you have, then you have your speck bear and your panda. Right. So... There aren't right. that many bear species, which is why we need to conserve mm -hmm. the ones we have. Absolutely. I mean, it's just in, they're incredibly important for the ecosystems. But I just, it just goes to show how unique they are from other bear species. They climb, they don't hibernate, they eat a ton of fruit. They're darling. <laughs> All bears are cute, though. So. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But another thing that's really important to know about sun bears, Chris, is that they're pretty shy and reclusive. They, they're not known to attack humans, uh, e even if they're provoked. Uh, mm -hmm. Of course, a mom and a cub, a mom, some bear and a cub might be, uh, it's going to be a little bit more aggress aggressive, but yeah, just in general, they're definitely most likely more scared of us than we are of them. And there's anecdotal stories out there about how sun bears 
are there can be pests in agricultural, like in the palm field or coconut plant oil plantations. But I found an interesting study, which is why I love research, uh, from 2019, uh, published in the journal Orcs, and the title is "Does the Vulnerable Sun Bear Damage Crops and Threaten People in Oil Palm Plantations?" And this researcher went through and interviewed a lot of palm plantation workers and farmers in uh, regions of Sabah, in several regions of Borneo, and basically found that no, they're they're not a, they're not an issue. In fact. Right, right. Pigs and elephants were much more destructive to their habitats. No, it's yeah, it's interesting because I didn't see much on anything with sun bears on human conflict, and even we know the research here with bears in North America or any other you know other parts of the world, human wildlife conflict. I mean, bears generally are very shy and run away from people. It's the rare oddity that you know a bear will kill somebody or there'll be a conflict. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think there's a lot of misnomers uh, about that. And mm-hmm. that's why I love science to kind of come in there and see mm-hmm, what the issues mm-hmm. are and then work towards them. But but of course, we always need education on how what to do if you do have a bear on your property or obviously not leaving your trash out, right? Like if the if the forests are dwindling and then they're, they're forced to come out of the trees and come encroaching on humans, like yeah. which happens here yeah. in the States a lot, then you want to help the situation out by not encouraging them to come near you and things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Well, it just shows you too how smart they are, right? I mean, right? They're opportunistic, exactly, yeah. Chris. Mm-hmm. Like they're, mm-hmm. yeah, they're nobody's fool. They, they, uh, of course, amongst themselves, they have they have a great sense of communication. They have a brilliant sense of smell, uh, and that's where they'll stand up and, of course, you know, sniff the air and search for food items, right? And, of course, they use their olfactory senses to look for mates. And they do have uh, vocalizations, but they're more known for their grunts and snuffles. Uh, and they do have a roar, but it's it's not as probably as powerful or as aggressive as what we're used to with a our North American uh, black bears and brown bears, but uh, they can also sometimes make barking sounds too, if you will, if they're surprised. And so speaking of some bear intelligence, Chris is really cool. There's a couple anecdotal stories out there that I was able to find. uh, And then of course one study, but one of the stories was about this bear that was uh, under human care and it was fed rice a lot. And so what it did is it actually didn't eat the rice. It scattered the rice and throughout its enclosure to attract mm-hmm. chickens. And then it killed and ate the chicken. <laughs> Jeez. Okay. So, and that wasn't a study that was anecdotal, but I, I thought that was, yeah, I thought yeah, that was yeah. pretty great. Yeah. But another fun story, uh, once again, I would have to source it, but was that sun bears have been known to use their claws as a key to unlock a cupboard that has like wow. sweet food in it. So, okay. you know, to be able That's to have awesome. that dexterity and be able to manipulate yeah. that. But turning to the literature, because of course that's what I usually do, I found a great, a recent study, a great study out of uh, Atlanta, Georgia, about using computerized testing on sun bears uh, that live under human care at Zoo Atlanta. And uh, uh, Bonnie Perdue is the author, and it was published in Behavioral Sciences uh, just recently, I think in 2019. And what she did is she was able to, her and her colleagues were able to train sun bears 
to use a computer touch screen to work on object discrimination. So that's being able to tell different objects apart from each other um, on a computer screen. And so it's all free choice. And they found the bears, once they were trained on how to use the computer, that they used it readily and that they enjoyed it. They, uh, Of course, positive reinforcement was applied, treats and all that to encourage the bears. And they found that the, the bears really uh, enjoyed this. It was great enrichment. And they, ex- they really excelled at the task that they were asked to do. And in a really cool note, do you know how they use the touchscreen? How do you think they use the touchscreen? I want to say nose, but are you going to say they use their claw? No. No, their tongue? Yes. Oh, that long tongue? Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Okay. So obviously their tongue is very dis- cool. dexterous or agile. Or yeah, whatever, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. But anyways, yeah, they no, it was a really cool study. Just, I mean, they know bears are smart, but just getting them to apply uh, to apply it in a way that they can communicate with us humans. And they, yeah, they was found, found it was great enrichment for the sun bears there at Zoo Atlanta. So kudos to those researchers for mm-hmm. putting some uh, scientific-based evidence out there. I mean, we know they're smart, but uh, just showing how smart they are and how much they enjoy interacting and using their brains. And once again, too, talking, moving back to bear bile farming of why – bears are super intelligent and they, and they need, they need stimulation. They need to, they're omnivores. So they're used to collecting food and, and doing all this stuff and they, they need to stay busy. Otherwise I'm I'm sure they probably go crazy. So, uh, Yeah. 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 So, but pretty cool stuff. And then, looking into their reproductive physiology, as I opened with about their, their, their very sporadic, either short to long gestation period. Of course, I had, yeah. yeah, yeah, I had to dive into the literature um, with that. And But what, what, what was really surprising, Chris, in general, is there is not that much is known about breeding behavior in sun bears. Yeah. Which, yeah. here we are, we're talking about six true species of bears. They ha- they're super unique, and there's so much is unknown about them. And a lot of that is because they're elusive, there's not a lot of them left, and they're pretty elusive in the wild. Uh, so there are researchers that are studying them, and I found a really cool paper out of your old stomping grounds, Theriogenology. Okay, yeah. You've published in there published several a few times. In there. Mm-hmm. A few times, yeah. <laughs> yep. A study out of 2004 that looked at both uh, sun bears living under human care, and uh, and then of course wild sun bears collecting feces. So they the uh, the title of the study is fecal Sto- steroid analysis for monitoring reproduction in the sun bear. So fecal steroids they looked at hormone levels in the bear feces, both under human care and then from wild sun bears, and they're basically able to elucidate that uh, sun bears are polyesterous, so they have several estrous cycles. Uh, but they're non-seasonal breeders, which is really unique because when we think of bears in the northern hemisphere, uh, the American black bear, brown bear, polar bears, sloth bears, pandas, all of that, uh, they're seasonal breeders and their babies are born in the springtime so they can have all the mm-hmm. food. Uh, so the, the the sun bear is much different in that they can have a baby year-round and research speculate that that is b- because they have food availability. They don't hibernate. 
their food is mm-hmm. pl- plentiful, um, assuming there's forests around. So a much different strategy. Uh, the researchers, this is why we need more researchers out there calling all researchers that, yes, that love yes, to study please, this please, stuff. Please, please. Uh, they, they don't know a lot about sun bear ovulation, whether they're induced ovulators. So do they need to breed to ovulate or are they spontaneous ovulators and they just ovulate every so often like like humans do? Uh, They don't know Mm -hmm. that. And they also don't know if sun bears have delayed implantation, which I know we talked about other bear species where the egg and sperm will fertilize the embryo grows to a certain stage, and then it basically like a pause button is hit for a while. And then a couple months later, it'll resume growing. And researchers believe a lot of that has to do with seasonality, timing it to season so that the babies are born in the spring, when all the nutrients are around. And there's still a lot about delayed implantation that we don't under- fully understand. Researchers fully don't no, understand. No, yeah. But the sun bear, Chris... But that's why when we look at sun bear gestation length, how long they're pregnant, it's anywhere from 95 to 240 days. And so it's just really all over the map because it depends on if they're under human care. It depends on if they're wild. They just really, it's just, there's really a lot of unknowns about it where other bears, such as the polar bear or the brown bear, they also have a range, for instance. So uh, a polar bear's gestation period is 151 to 300 days, which is still, a, if I was a woman, if that was me, I'd be a little bit annoyed about that. Right, 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 <laughs> uh, yeah. Because us humans, they're like, give or, yeah, they're like give or take us a week. And any any of my fellow female mothers out there that have been pregnant, those those last couple weeks, you are like counting the days to like, okay, when is the show? When's the big show going to happen? Because let's, we need to know mm-hmm. it's, it's time. Mm-hmm. So polar bears, 151 to 301 days, uh, a brown bear, 190 to 260. But we know a, a, a little bit more with those guys. But with sun bears, it's just still this wide range of 95 to 240 days. And so it's uh, it's just incredible that we don't know more about their reproductive physiology and especially Mm -hmm. considering that some of them are farmed i mean it's it's well they're not but they're not breeding them though that's what i'm saying they they haven't figured out how to breed them they're not breeding them they don't know how to i mean so it's just like yeah there's just still a lot of unknowns and they deserve our attention before they're extinct. I mean, this is, this is yeah. why we need to know more about them. So they're, uh, they have been successfully bred in zoos, uh, but it's not, it's still a work in progress. They're still learning about it. Uh, and then interestingly enough, um, at a Berlin zoo, a sun bear actually gave birth two times in one year. So her cycle was, wow, was okay. looking right. Like, so okay. she, uh, and they don't really, I mean, that would be great if we could reproduce that more often under human care, uh, for their genetics and for the species survival plan, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, at accredited institutions. But there, yeah, there's just still a lot we don't know. Uh, usually when a female gives birth, uh, a litter size is one, maybe two. And pretty typical to most bear species. Sun bears are the newborns, cubs, are they're born blind, hairless, and helpless, mm-hmm. teeny tiny, 300 grams. And their eyes will open at about 25 days uh, but and they'll really start to see after about fifty days, and their hearing improves after fifty days. They uh, start 
moving around and walking uh, after that. And they, they stick with mama for a long time. So the sun bear mm-hmm. mama is mm-hmm. an amazing mama. She puts a mm-hmm. lot of energy into raising these helpless young and then into teaching them how to be opportunistic omnivores and how to climb and how to forage and how to find the foods that they need to find. Uh, and so a cub will stay with a mom up to three years. Three years. Wow, that's a long time. Yeah, yeah that's a long time. exactly. It's a it's a big investment, and of course, a mother bear, a mother sun bear, will protect her young um, more aggressively than obviously if she w- didn't have the young. And the cubs will become adults and reach their sexual maturity anywhere from two to four years of age. So usually, mm-hmm. once they leave mom, they can start to reproduce if they find a mate and things like that. Uh, but the one thing I did find that I thought was kind of cool about their uh, about their behavior is that researchers think that the beautiful V on their neck, the the orange colored V or U shape on their chest, actually potentially serves a per- an evolutionary purpose to make them look bigger when they're like standing up and trying to okay. uh, either defend their territory or uh, mm-hmm. two if two males you know are about to battle mm-hmm. that that maybe makes down, them yeah. look more impressive uh, but of course we don't know the answer but we do know that it's a cool that patteration color on their chest is a, a really cool adaptation that the sun bear moon bear and sloth bear all have so that, that it must play some kind of role in communicating something or mate yeah attraction and or yeah something. And they're ancient and that they kept it you know mm-hmm. through some way the the, the coloration pattern well, you know, it, you're right. There's a lot of unknown with this species that, that we need to know more, especially as, as they head towards extinction. I mean, they're vulnerable now by the IUCN. They know their population's decreasing, but again, we don't have total numbers. And I couldn't find anywhere of a estimate on the population. It, it, it can't be huge, no. you know, considering how felt, fragmented they are. Yeah. I felt like maybe a thousand, but th- once again, they don't know because it's so hard mm-hmm. to do the count. And the populations are so fragmented. So I, I have no idea if that, yeah. that number was different really countries confirmed yeah. by any study that I could find. Yeah. And it's just, you know, like I, I said, you know, earlier it's deforestation, the, they're losing their habitat for palm oil, other things there. So like, Last week I said, you know, if you could use the palm oil apps, depending on where you live, that, you know, we're trying to find sustainable palm oil, even though as we try to push to eliminate palm oil overall. But this week, I I brought this up before, Ange, Mm -hmm. before we jump to the organization real quick. And that's just, you know, with deforestation, I'm thinking of sustainable wood. Mm -hmm. And today, the best thing we have is FSC certification, mm-hmm. which is the Forest Stewardship Council. Okay. And it's a global effort. It, it has come under criticism, but it is the best thing we have going today. And when it does work, it is certifying sustainable wood where these companies or whoever is out there taking wood is regrowing the habitat. And, you know, it, it's, with the huge human population, wood is a major resource for us. So forests are going to get chopped down. I mean, it just is, it's happening. So if we can at least be sustainable, go into these areas where we have chopped down trees, replant them, rehabilitate the ecosystem, 
That's the best thing we have right now. So look for FSC certification when you buy wood products. And then I always go back to Bamboo. It, it, bamboo is a great resource. I know it's got some issues on its own, but you know you can buy Bamboo wood products. Bamboo grows really quickly and you know you can get you can get a lot of use out of it. So anyways, look for that FSC certification. But I know you were saying, you know, a couple of the groups that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to just quick highlight two groups and we'll have a lot more about them on our show notes as well. But the first one is specifically based on sun bears and that's going to be the Borneo Sun Bear Conservation Center. This is an amazing rehabilitation center founded by Wong C. Tay that I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast. Uh, he's an individual that has studied sun bears his whole life, their ecology, their behavior, uh, and of course, understanding that they need to be saved. And so the Borneo Sun Bear Conservation Center works to rescue bears from poor condition. And then they are also highly involved in educating the public about sun bear conservation and other issues, uh, threats facing sun bears. And they work with research too, because they have a huge facility where basically the bears get to be bears for, for the first time in their life. They're rescued from these horrible, mm-hmm. com- horrible conditions and they get to climb trees and just live in this. Uh, they have several hectares of preserve where bears just get to be bears. And then of course they also work closely with researchers to learn more about their behavior and more about their conservation. And the uh, Borneo Sun Bear Conservation Center is also works largely in part with the species survival plan um, with the association of zoos and aquariums to help initiate international uh, breeding programs to help save the species. So a huge thank you to the Borneo Sun Bear Conservation Center for all the work they can do. There's tons of stuff online about them. They have a great Facebook presence uh, and a website that's beautiful. And you can learn more about all the specific projects that they do to help uh, rescue sun bears and also help conserve them and to help educate people about how awesome they are. So it's a great group dedicated to sun bears and um, yeah, check them out. And the second organization I want to highlight is Animals Asia. And so Mm -hmm. they can be found at animalsasia.org. If you've been listening to this podcast and you're thinking, oh my gosh, what can I do to help end bear bile farming. And I just need to know more about this because it needs to stop. I want to help it stop or or I want to help organizations that are helping to stop it. And the founder of Animal Asia, Jill Robinson, uh, released a documentary in 2017. I highly recommend called The Moon and Back documentary. It's all about uh, bear bile, bile farming and trying to uh, learn more about how to, to stop that. So Animals Asia is devoted 100% to basically stopping the horrific bio farming. And uh, yeah. and then, of course, working with the welfare of animals across Asia. So uh, check that group out. Uh, of course, uh, they have a, a beautiful webpage with tons of information. And then you can like them on Facebook or other social media platforms as well. So thank you to Jill Robinson and her group for all they do. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's it's always heartening when there are people out there, week in week out. Besides hippos and raccoon dogs, 
almost every other animal we've covered, there's people out there fighting for them and ensuring their survival and well-being and, and, and learning as much as we can about them. So thank you so much to them. It's just it's one of the things I love about this podcast are, are these agencies working so hard out there. And then we get to speak to them. Yes, I'm definitely going to reach out and try to have some of these experts uh, that ha- know the details a lot more about sun bears and moon bears and some of their conservation issues. Uh, I would love to hear what they have to say so they can keep us the most up to date, right? Of what's happening with the scientific literature and what's happening from the political side of things uh, so that we can help steer our listeners in the right direction of what we can do. Because there's a lot, even though we're all on our couches right now um, I know. at home, there still is a lot that, yes. that we can do. And part of it is by sharing uh, and edu- helping educate people because this is, it's, a, it's a touchy topic uh, about uh, biofarming, but it's one that I think not everybody's familiar with. And uh, the, more, the more you know, don't, don't be like me, don't stick your head in the sand. And trust me, as much as ignorance can be blissful, don't stick your head in the sand. Let's learn together about some of these really hard issues that animals are facing and some of these welfare issues, and we can work together towards saving them. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, share this with a friend. Thank you for the subscriptions, you know, people subscribing to the podcast and and rating us and reviewing us. So thank you so much. And again, you know, we're just going to keep working hard. Look for kids episodes coming. We've got some interviews planned and we'll be back next week with a new species. Thank you, everyone. Listen, learn, share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com.